Good evening and uh, welcome to the third in our series of um, webinars on Wednesday. Um, I'm really pleased this evening to be joined by Andrew Roberts, um, who's uh, written the book Holy Habits, if you're wondering where uh, you knew Andrew's name from. Before uh, we get going and I kind of uh, hand over all responsibility to Andrew in the form of questions, um, uh, just a bit of a plug for next month. Um, it's going to be kind of a week later in the month next month it'll be the 23rd of september where we're really pleased to be joined with mark green who um was or still is uh, for a short time the director of the london institute of contemporary christianity and has written his book faith on the front line and i think it will complement um really really nicely um what we're going to talk about tonight it kind of moves us on in the, the next step in the discussion and the journey uh, so that's for next month and we'll think about that then um, so then, um, Andrew, good evening. Good evening. Um, I, I hope uh, I hope you're well, melting in this uh, this heat that we're all experiencing at the moment. Although yeah. we shouldn't complain because I believe uh, in some places the rain has already arrived and uh, we'll still be moaning about how wet it is. Um, Perhaps we could just start by just because uh, because clearly you don't just uh, land one day and think oh no I'll write a book. Um, perhaps you could just give us some background to uh, what brought you to the place where you thought you'd write down what is clearly your experience of ministry and and what you've found here. Well, that's right, Stuart. I mean, um, Holy Habits is in some ways semi-autobiographical actually because uh, there's a lot of my sort of personal story and testimony in there, um, and a lot of the stories of the people that I've had the privilege of knowing, working with, ministering alongside and so on over the years. So, you know, it's been a long time in the making, really. I think um, the stories in there from my time at university, for example, when I was a student in York, I was blessed to be there at the time that David Watson was at St. Michael Belfry. That was a massively important formative time for me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Practically, in 2015, I had a sabbatical. Um, a few years before that, I'd done a master's degree. And as part of that degree, I'd done a module on acts. I'd written an essay uh, based on the, the anchor passage for Holy Habits, Acts 2, 42 to 47. Uh, the question was, to what extent do we see the picture that Luke paints there reappearing in Fresh Expressions of Church today? And as I was working for the Fresh Expressions team at the time, that seemed a good question to answer. So the actual genesis of the book in written form was that essay I did as part of the master's degree that got rewritten for a theological journal and then stayed on the shelf for a while. But with sabbatical coming up, I'd always had that little niggle. Is there something more to be developed here? And that gave me the time to really assemble the book because uh, when it comes to writing, I think I'm more of an assembler than a, a sort of prosaic sit down and just write away sort of person. Um, so that gave me the time to do it. And then, you know, being delighted and thrilled and amazed at how it's taken off following that. That's fabulous. So I know um, certainly in, in the area that I work in, uh, the northwest of England, that lots of churches have been working through holy habits and and looking at each one, you know, some some over a couple of months, some over a month, whichever period it works for them. And we are tonight going to be going through and looking and thinking about how all those habits apply to us now 
in this time when many of us find ourselves socially distanced or, or even socially isolated, sadly. Mm -hmm. But I know from, from talking to you and having looked through the book as well, there's kind of two main themes that you want to kind of start off with, isn't there? First of all, the, this idea that believers broke bread together at home. Do you want to say some more about, about that, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I'll probably get back to the breaking bread bit a little bit later on when we have a gallop through the habits. But I just think it's those two little words, at home, um, that struck me actually you know when the covid crisis was breaking um, that here was a phrase from luke that was very much for our time um, one of the lovely things about the acts 2 42 to 47 passage is whenever you read it it seems that the spirit brings something different to your attention um, and so you know i still read it frequently if i'm presenting about holy habits i'll invite people to read that and notice what they notice what's the spirit saying to me today at this time through this very familiar text and so when you know rumors of lockdown began to emerge and everything like that i wrote a little blog actually about the phrase at home and just wondered aloud whether this you know gift of a passage would be a gift to us again in these very challenging and difficult times when being at home was forced upon us uh, the vast majority of us stay at home said the prime minister mm. and apart from his advisor that's what we all did <laughs> yeah we did indeed yes um so i guess the other challenge that that's almost the the counter opposite to that idea of being at home and you know in many cases being our own is the idea that all believers were together yes yeah and again i think that's another critical uh, phrase in the passage um, again, I'll often speak about the, the sense of togetherness, the sense of community uh, that Luke presents in the passage. All the believers were together. Whenever I say that, I'm always aware of Jimmy Dunn's comment that Luke's passage is undoubtedly idealised. So I think when Luke says all the believers were <laughs> together, we need to filter that through that sort of idealised lens. But it probably means a great majority of them were in practice so there is something important about togetherness in this text and something important about togetherness being a key to the fruitfulness of living out holy habits but as you rightly say Stuart when we are all confined to barracks when we are all at home in what sense and in what ways can we be together when actually for several months physical meeting was denied and even now it's very very carefully regulated and controlled in the Methodist church that I serve we've just begun to open up again for Sunday worship but it is very very carefully monitored and some people can come some people can't come so again what does togetherness mean and look like in these days it'd be interesting to get comments and questions from the participants about this as we go through this evening and absolutely that's something we're very keen to do tonight so if you've got any kind of questions or any thoughts that um, come from something that's said then please uh, don't hang on just uh, five minutes at the bottom of the question and answer bit and we'll uh, we'll hopefully uh, be able to, to engage with you in that way we really i know andrew uh, when we spoke was really keen wouldn't you to uh, be able to do that to, to have a bit of a, a dialogue with people so please feel free to uh, to ask some questions using the question and answer facility, which you should have at the bottom of your screen. So, so 
have you come up with any answers, I wonder, over this time when you've been um, socially isolated? We've not been, hopefully, on trips over to Durham at all. Um, have you have you come up with any ideas to challenge this idea of still being together whilst being apart? Well, clearly, um, something like what we're doing now, I, I think, is part of the response and part of the, the answer. Um, I think we were aware pre-COVID that um, how online space is used within Christian fellowship, within Christian worship, within Christian mission um, is really, really important. And again, that's um, the, the crisis that we're living through has accelerated that, that learning and that exploration. So all of the online stuff, whether it's webinars like this, whether it's online worship, um, with Holy Habits, we ran a series of online home groups with BRF, which we did on a Facebook Live platform. And we're actually wonderful, dynamic, rich times of learning. Um, and we found some things actually have been positively advantageous. So in those house groups, the, the level of um, interaction and participation, I think, was actually higher than we would have had if we'd have been in a physical space together because people had to type in their comments. They really had to be concise. So you get maybe a couple of sentences of comment. I would respond to that or somebody else would respond to that. So the level of interactivity and the level of shared learning, I think, was absolutely enormous. Um, so I think we've learned some things of positive value but equally, I think we must be honest, and you know, this is a deeply Christian thing to do. We do need to lament about what we've lost, hopefully temporarily, by not being able to be together physically. I mean, when lockdown began to be eased and it was permissible, um, I went to visit um, my, my youth leader, who's now in his 80s a wonderful godly man he does pop up in the holy habits book actually alan davis if anybody's read the story i got permission off his daughter to go and safely visit him at a social distance and we met and we talked and we had the most wonderful time together and at the end i said alan do you mind if i pray with you and i found that a deeply moving experience i hadn't realized how much i'd missed praying somebody with somebody in physical space mm. I've prayed online, uh, I did it in the home groups, I do it in other places as well. Um, so there, there have been some gains, but there has been some losses. So we celebrate the gains and, and we lament uh, the losses, I think. Thanks, That's, uh, I find that really, really helpful. So let's, um, as we've been sort of talking about teaching, that seems like a good place to move on to the first one. Of those holy habits we were laughing yeah. with andrew before um as he said so many people came up and and quote his books to him at different conferences and he said uh, that uh, he thought oh my goodness did i write that and then you know it always feels like a test so i promise i'm not going to test you but i'm going to start with uh, with something that you that you wrote so you don't need to tell me the page number um when talking about biblical teaching i just i thought this was quite significant for this time that we're in at the moment that you wrote when it comes to the holy habit of biblical teaching, community and creativity are vital. So too is context. Where we are, as well as who we are, affects how we engage with the Bible and how the Bible engages with us. And that seems to be really sort of a pertinent phrase uh, for the time we find ourselves in at the moment. 
Oh, I, I think so, definitely. Um, and again, when we did that um, home group series, um, it, it was it began again just as lockdown was beginning, and the the direct application of biblical texts to the COVID crisis, I think, was really really striking. Um, and again, it doesn't need to be a crisis like COVID, but for me. You know, biblical, there's a risk with a phrase like biblical teaching. We can think it's just about swallowing and memorizing verses. And, you know, you know, you get a prize if you can quote, quote Romans 8, 27. I've no idea what that verse says. Um, but actually, for me, it's the living of biblical teaching that's really, really critical. Um, you know, we don't want caricatures like Doc Cotton in EastEnders who goes around quoting verses of scripture. And then it's a complete living contradiction of those things. I think for me as a disciple uh, and for me as a minister encouraging others, the big challenge is how do how does the word become flesh in me and how do I live out biblical teaching wherever God has called me to be? Now, Mark Green, who's going to be with you next month, I think is really good mm -hmm. on this and the whole sort of uh, LICC emphasis on whole life discipleship. And I think the Holy Habits materials encourage something similar. It's the day-to-day -day living of this stuff that really, really matters. So if I'm an accountant, how do I apply biblical teaching to my work as an accountant? Um, if I'm a homemaker, how do I apply it there? Um, and so on. If, if I'm out and about doing my shopping, how do I treat the staff with courtesy in a way that's consistent with you know the biblical teaching and so on and i think i think it's quite useful as well for the community that studies together as well isn't it for that to kind of grow and i mean we will shortly move on to fellowship but just stay with us I, I think it gives you all a vision together a vision for the church to move forward and, and people grow as disciples when they study yeah. god's word together yeah and i think i think again this is where we bring that word together in again Stuart. Um, I mean, I quote a lady in Holy Habits called Sylvia Wilkie Collinson, who is a Bapt an Australian Baptist, I think. Um, and she talks about this notion of co-produced learning. Uh, and sometimes in the church, and I'm caricaturing it horribly here, we have perpetuated, you know, what you could call an expert and idiot culture. <laughs> and we kind of venerate the speaker who talks very eloquently and assume that everybody listening to them is just an empty vessel waiting to be topped up. When actually, the biblical model of teaching is way more participative and collaborative um, it, than, than that way. I mean, my thinking was revolutionized when somebody pointed out to me that Jesus's teaching methodology was one of shared learning he would get a group of people together, begin to teach them, tell them a story, whatever he did. And he allowed, by facilitating a conversation, the truth to emerge in, that, in the midst of that. Now, Jesus, we believe, was truth incarnate, but he just didn't come and say, this is what you need to know, let me tell you it. He actually worked with people to, so they discovered the truth that he was encouraging them to discover in the midst of their conversation. So I think biblical teaching is particularly effective um, in, our, in our gathered worship, but particularly in our small groups and other gatherings, when we enable that, that learning to be done in community and everybody has that opportunity to uh, contribute, even if 
is like in the ACTS communities, the contributions coming from the children asking lots of questions that facilitates the learning. And I think there is that lovely moment that we, I hope we've all experienced when we've been uh, part of that group when something just suddenly comes and makes sense to us. Um, and often from, as you say, from an unexpected source yeah. that, that enables everything to drop back down into place for us. And, you know, I know from personally, they're some of the most cherished conversations and cherished times I've had in all kinds of strange and different places, sometimes in a formalised setting, sometimes and more often in an informal setting that's taken place around that conversation with with kind of friends. And, and I guess... Um, not wanting to shoehorn us on to the, to the next kind of idea of fellowship. But, but, but I mean, I do like um, this idea that you talk about kind of this, this going back to authentic fellowship and authentic community. Yeah. Um, and I know some of the, um, the deepest time I went with somebody who said they were going uh, to be part of, uh, listen to this tonight, we share together in some great times. So when I look and I, I kind of go through your book again, uh, unconsciously ticks off all those things you know we ate together we prayed together we studied together we shared together but but so much of it was built around this idea of community that we yeah. almost have a sense belong to god but belong to each other as well and, and for me that kind of really captures this idea of fellowship yeah 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 i mean um shortly after i kind of began to travel with holy habits i went to bristol and uh, the churches there had come across a video produced by christian aid um, and, you know, it was produced entirely independently of um, Holy Habits. Um, and it featured a group of young adults. I'm guessing they were still in their sort of early to mid 20s, sat around a table in a garden, having some food together. And even at that age, they were reminiscing about the type of fellowship that they missed from their university days when they used to hang out together and have pizza together and look at the Bible together and so on. And I found that fascinating. The group so young, they were mm. already lamenting the loss of being of meeting in that way. Now, okay, we must be honest. Sometimes life takes over. When you are a student, you might not realise it at the time, but you tend to have more time to do that kind of thing than when you've got a career and a mortgage and family and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I think it's again instructive about those times if we look at our own growth as disciples when has that been most accelerated and it's tended to be where those fellowship things are in place um, Roger Walton the Methodist minister has done a lot of research about what helps disciples to grow and surprise surprise you know he kept coming back to the value of good supportive and formative small groups um, as part of that development and I think that's been particularly for us a challenge um, during COVID at the moment, yes. that, that fellowship, you know, and yes, we can, some people can get together um, on, on platforms such as this, mm -hmm. um, but somehow it still kind of can lack. So have you heard of any kind of group that come up with some kind of ingenious way of being, you know, keeping that idea of fellowship up? Yeah, um, I mean, it's, there's a community in a little town called Stone, just north of Stafford, between Stafford and Stoke-on-Trent. Um, a church there, it was a joint United Reformed and Methodist church where the building closed, but actually the fellowship continued, St John's Church in Stone. And, uh, you know, they faced this issue during um, the pandemic of how do we maintain that sense of being together, of fellowship, 
They have many folk who are shielding, many folk who've got to stay at home. So again, they studied the regulations carefully and they were very, very careful in what they thought it was appropriate to do. And a group of folk in that church felt called, led, whatever, to actually become what they called themselves a traveling band of disciples. And so they go around to the homes of those who are confined to their homes. Now, I don't know if they meet in their gardens or through the window or what they do. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, it's almost, well, they can't come to the gathered church and so let the gathered church or a small cohort of that go to them. Um, and again, it's simple, it's doable. Um, again, the IT stuff wouldn't work with those people. Mm -hmm. So they found a way of meeting safely in close proximity to continue that sense of fellowship. That's a, a great example of people's, I guess, ingenuity as well as uh, yeah. answer perhaps to prayers. I, I guess one of the other things that we have um, missed in our time of isolation and we continue to miss in many cases is the idea of breaking bread together and very much in a kind of sacramental sense of, of breaking bread and you use some great examples in the book about our different understandings of breaking bread together and um in, in liverpool which is part of mercy synod obviously we had the the great example of barbara glasson and um and the bread making church and i know when i was training for ministry i was very lucky to spend a year where i had was a kind of tutor and i went to see what happened there it was a great example of of doing church in a different way that connected with something that was most primitive in us this need to, to, to break bread and I, I, uh, I love the story of the man that you met on the on the bench who uh, yeah. got his bread out for you and explained yeah. which bread went best of everything you know what what would you want to say I guess about breaking bread in this particular time but this idea of a sacramental act versus um, a kind of extension of fellowship I suppose yeah, I mean, the, the, obviously there's a lot of debates out there at the moment, Stuart, about um, breaking bread, Holy Communion, what you can or can't do, um, is online communion appropriate and so on. My own denomination is having huge debates about that, um, and I don't really want to get into those this evening. Um, but again, you know, have we been guided back to Acts 2.42 in recent years? Um, is God saying to us, you know, just have a look at these practices and see see what you can be done. Don't be so worried about regulations and all the weight that goes around those. Um, because the breaking bread that we have in the Acts passage, again, the context is really interesting. Luke says they broke bread at home. So they didn't trot up to the temple or, or you know, another public space. It was very much a domestic thing, which is, of course, how it began you know, the Last Supper took place in a home, it's domestic context stuff. Um, so I'm always keen to say, please honour the traditions of your denomination. You know, I don't want to get anybody in trouble for breaking any rules and whatever. But I think the text, and I've read all the commentaries on the text, and the consensus among the commentators is, Luke's phraseology about breaking bread is ambiguous. He may have been talking about uh, an early embryonic form of what we might now call Holy Communion. He may have been talking about breaking bread as part of the everyday meal, but remembering Jesus as people did it. Now, there's nothing to stop anybody, any follower of Jesus, doing the latter 
anytime, any place, anywhere. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't. There's nothing in any church rule book that says you can't. So I think let's not get in a tangle about exactly, you know, the fullness of what you can do with bread and wine. Just break some bread. That's what it says in the text. Um, you can do that at home. You can do that on your own. You could do that, you know, with somebody. Um, if, you, if you're hooked up online, you could both sit with a piece of bread. Um, you know, don't get yourself into trouble using liturgies you shouldn't or, or whatever. But just that very simple act of breaking bread. It was actually a friend of mine on that park bench, Indigit Bogle, who did it with Albert the Homeless Man. But, you know, and the, and the point of, part of the point of that story is that Indigit is a former president of Methodist Conference. So somebody upholds all the all the appropriate disciplines of the church but they were able to have that powerful experience mm. of meeting Christ in broken bread that I think anybody can have in any place. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I had a lovely experience. We had my uh, mum come and stay for once the lockdown had been lifted and my mum moved into our social bubble and, uh, you know, and came and stayed with us. And uh, she did church online and she said, oh, we've been doing community. She said, but I feel bad because I forgot a piece of bread, but all I had was my crumpet. And I said, I'm sure... I'm sure God won't mind that you broke bread with your crumpet and not with a with a yeah. piece of Warburton's, uh, you know, white sliced loaf. Um, yeah. I think what we're learning, and I, I just want to bring in a question that Hillary's asked uh -huh. with us here. Um, what we're learning is that we're having to, I, I guess, readapt things that are, are there, have been around. We're looking at, you know, you said right at the beginning that you look at the text in Acts and it, um, it, it constantly brings new things out for us. And I guess we're learning new things now and Hillary wants to know you know we're, we're learning how to live in a modern day exile what new holy habits do you think we need to adopt to keep uh, faith in our current situation? It's a really good question um, what new habit? Uh, well I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a new habit as such but I think I think it's that there may be something around being open um, to, you know, where the spirit is taking us and how things are going to change. Um, I, you know, I think this 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 crisis time has forced change upon us that I think in our heart of hearts many of us knew were coming. And I was talking with a friend of mine today um, about you know our local situation and how when this crisis passes, as we trust it will, how many of our local chapels will actually reopen? Now, I think many of us have known for a little time now that actually at some point, some of those may have had to close anyway. So this has accelerated all of that. Um, and so I just wonder whether it's, you know, what physical spaces we have, what online community we, we adopt, actually, practicing a, um, a habit of being open uh, and, and more willing to take the risks, more um, willing to follow the spirit, um, you know, maybe maybe we're being forced into that that practice of, of new openness, I think. Yeah, but thank you. That's, uh, that's really helpful to, to think about terms in that way. Um, I wonder as well, um, I just want to move on to thinking now about prayer and I'd just like to to re-quote a bit of your book to you if I could yeah that I really liked um I would 
who we are is how we pray. This idea yeah. we can we get too precious about the ways uh, we find it most helpful to pray. And there's kind of this idea of just relaxing internationally into to who you are and the way that you would pray. And that seems to be really, really relevant, I don't know, at the moment, um, you know, uh, for the times we find ourselves. And I found my prayers over the last few months changing and, you know, I had some sort of um, real affinity with the psalmist to just getting, you know, angry and rejoicing and thankful and all those kind of things in the space of a five minute kind of conversation with God. And I, what, what could he say about prayer at this current time? Well, I think you mentioned that the, who we are is how we pray. That's the title of a book by Charles Keating that I found really, really helpful, where he maps personality styles onto preferred patterns of prayer. Um, and again, I just think we need to be a bit honest, Stuart, that when it comes to like patterns of prayer, when it comes to styles of worship and so on, actually, at the end of the day, the style that we prefer will be heavily dependent on our personality type. Mm. Um, so therefore, we shouldn't get uh, too precious about our preferred style, because actually what's appropriate for me may not be so appropriate for you. Um, and nor, and I think this can be particularly true with prayer, nor be threatened by how other folk pray. You know, if people want to shout at, at the ceiling in their prayers, well, fine, that's not my style. But if it's helpful to somebody else, you know, let it be so. Um, so I think... Uh, I found that book enormously helpful. Um, and again, I think like you during this time, um, I also, you know, been back to the Psalms, I think quite a lot of people have, um, because the I think the rawness and the honesty and the lament tradition within Psalms is really helpful. John Bell's written a really good book about uh, praying with the Psalms, again, that I read during lockdown and found really, really helpful. Um, so yeah, that's been good. And I think, again, just actually using the gift of time that we've had to spend more time in prayer. Because mm. again- Yeah, and I guess at a time when we've just, we felt there's so little we could do, that's one real powerful yeah. way as Christians that we can, yeah. is, is to pray. And, and I think also it's a gift, it's a missional gift we have to offer to others as well. Mm. I, mean, I get a bit knocked really when, we set up a false dichotomy between pastoral ministry and missional ministry. And there's been a massive risk we've done that in the Mission Shake Church era. It's been mission, 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 and you know, pastoral care, that doesn't matter. Well, actually, one of the most effective forms of being missional is to exercise good pastoral care, mm -hmm. uh, but beyond, not just within the church community. Mm -hmm. And I've been really surprised actually when um, occasionally I've taken the brave pill and offered prayer for people who are not um, practicing Christians in public spaces, particularly on Facebook. Now, I think I confessed to this in the book that my one of my guilty secrets is stock car racing. Okay. Um, and I'm quite well known within the stock car community because I'll turn up a lot of the meetings. I know quite a few of the drivers and officials and so on. And uh, again, a couple of months into the lockdown, one of our most prominent drivers died uh, from coronavirus and I just actually read a prayer and I thought I just had this conviction that that would be really appropriate for Pete and his family so I took some time to think about it and then I posted it on the stock car Facebook page and I post regularly on those pages 
and it was the most liked post I've ever put up by a ratio of at least two to one. And people were so grateful. Um, and, and these are not the sort of people <laughs> that you would normally see in church or anywhere else, but that that offering was made in that community. So I think prayer is, is something that we can offer to others as well, particularly in these times. And I think, um, I think that reflects uh, many people's experiences, the need to find something beyond themselves um, in, in difficult times as we're, we're faced at the moment. And, and it kind of takes us, I think, onto the next habit of that of giving, because I mean, it's, it was giving something of yourself really in a sense of vulnerability. Um, I, I, like, um, I like the idea uh, that you put from your uh, teacher, um, the idea of explaining the difference between an offering oh, yeah. and a collection. An yeah. offering, he said, is what you give to your guests when they come round for a meal. A collection is what you gather up and give to the dog afterwards. Yeah. Um, I, I, we've been uh, talking, I've been talking to a friend of mine who uh, runs an A&E department and obviously mm -hmm. she's been through incredibly hard times and, and continues to go through incredibly hard times now yeah. and particularly as they think forward to the winter and what that might look like. But he said one thing that's kept them going is like local restaurants, and takeaways and all kinds of different people who just brought them gifts and things. And they said they they have a, a room they call the Wobble Room, where so if anybody's having a wobble uh, at work that day, they can just go in there and they've got all kinds of different foods. And she said, actually, the gifts that they've received, that kind of giving, that, that felt like it came from the depths of people's soul, has really kept them going. And I wonder, you know, how can we as Christians give in this time? Well, I think, you know, Praise God, many are. And, and I mean, it, not just Christians as well, Stuart. I mean, I think that's been a wonderful thing to see, really. Um, you know, and I think the Holy Spirit's active in, in, in all of creation, really. Um, so, you know, I think the giving in terms of, you know, all the sewing that's being done, all the food that's being given, um, all sorts of ways, uh, the time that people have given, the resources that have been shared, has really been quite quite wonderful um, and I think you know we are at uh, I was preaching on Jeremiah on Sunday you know stand at the crossroads and, and you know if this isn't a crossroads in human history I don't know what is and I think you know we have big questions as Christian community as church as country as a world you know as we go forward and as we emerge from this just who do we want to be um, and are we going to resort and revert to you know, rampant selfish consumerism, which is destroying the planet? Or are we going to take forward the practices of giving that we celebrated during this time and actually uh, be more generous and responsible in our giving so that, you know, the human race can continue into the future because climate change will kill far more people than coronavirus. So I think what we've learned about sharing resources and giving in these days is absolutely critical for the health and well-being going forward. And for me, I think when we talk about giving, it moves us on to the next habit as well, because they almost become intertwined, and that's the, the idea of service. Yeah. Um, and um, I was, uh, I think it connected with me, so I was really... Um, the, the picture you paint of the church in the West Midlands where, you know, the, the classical concert was what the church was offering 
and the, the bookmakers opposite and, and the pub or whatever. And yeah. I think, because I, I can relate to that, and I'm sure lots of people will be able to relate to this idea of what the church offers is so often not actually what the community wants yeah. or needs and, yeah. and how we create that dialogue. And, and again, this seems like a crossroads, doesn't it, to say, you know, how can we, the church, serve you, the community? Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that, I think that was one of the less one good lesson that's come from Fresh Expressions as well, Stuart. Mm. It's it's not the exclusive learning of Fresh Expressions; many others have learned it before and since. But actually, if we're going to be effective in our service, we need to ask people what do they need. Mm. I mean, the one of my favourite Fresh Expressions is Wesley's Playhouse in Yorkshire, where they converted the old chapel into um, a playhouse. It was the first sort of soft place centered church in the country there are many more now and that all began uh, with the vision of one lay woman who thought we've got to be able to do more than we are doing and a church that actually was willing to ask its local community what did they need and i always remember uh, caroline telling the story when they actually went out and asked people what would you like what would you need they were astonished because they said, when has the church ever asked us that question before? Normally the question only comes and asks us for things that they need, rather than saying, what do you need? And the, the, the stated need in that community was they needed somewhere safe for their children to play. Um, so they kind of plagiarised the wacky warehouse mm -hmm. um, style facility, adapted their chapel to provide that and you know within three years it had 40,000 people through their doors so you know I think that very very simple question what is it that you need um, is how really effective service begins and that they're really pertinent questions that we as church communities can be asking now aren't they to, uh, to, yep. to those in this particular time what what do you need from us uh, as we go through this difficulty yeah, and, and you know asking the good people in the community that the, the you know the counselors the people at the gps practice the, the 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 head teachers in the schools um you know just just ask really i think we can waste an awful lot of time and energy second guessing what people need it was mike moiner who was a colleague of mine at fresh expressions who rather in exasperation one day said you want to know what christians are, uh, and non-christians are thinking just ask them <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and so after we do we second guess or we, we oh, or have a multi-million pound research project yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. just yeah. go and ask people uh, and perhaps we could do it you know when we eat together which is kind of the next habit we're going to yep. be thinking of i yep. um I, I mentioned earlier that one of the, uh, the churches I was lucky enough to, to uh, exercise ministry in was um, we did a kind of different kind of worship. Um, and this, this worship, when we first started doing this act of worship together, it finished with a meal. And we all said, Do you know, we enjoyed the meal so much. It should begin with the meal together. Yeah. And so, so that's exactly what we did. We began uh, with a meal where we ate together. And... Um, we shared um, stories as we ate and we had somebody come along for the first time and, and during our kind of active worship which wasn't songs and you know it was prayer it was discussion it was activity this person opened up with a great deal of depth of the story that we were then able to talk and i guess pray with her about and to work through not just over that evening but over a, a number of months and she said at a later date that she would never have had the confidence to share that 
story with us had it not been that we first of all sat down and we ate together. Yeah. And I think there's something so powerful about eating together that, that yeah. builds and forms trust. And that's something that would be so wonderful to be able to do at the moment. And yet is one of the things that is so difficult, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm more, well, I'm more and more convinced actually with all the holy habits that they're not just good habits of discipleship. I think they're good habits of human beings. And I think eating together, it's deeply human. It's deeply primal, actually. And it's not just the human race. Look at other animal species. They, they will gather around uh, food and so on. So I think it's something that's hardwired into, into creation, actually. Um, and uh, I, again, I was doing a, uh, a service at a church in Worcester uh, where they were launching a Holy Habits journey and they decided to do it in a cafe church style way. So all around tables, all around food. We had a wonderful time together. And at the end, I was chatting with folk and a guy came up and introduced him, said, hi, I'm Paul, Paul Jackson. And then he told me something that I'm glad I didn't know at the beginning of the service. He said, I'm a professor at Birmingham University. <laughs> I'm so glad he told me that now at the beginning. I'd be terrified. Um, and he explained not only was he professor, professor of politics, <clears throat> but he also works for the United Nations. And he goes to, um, you know, some of the most violent uh, or what were previously violent areas beginning to recover from war and often civil war, which is the worst of all wars, of course. And he said, you know what we do, don't you? And I said, no. He said, well, the first thing we do with the previous warring parties is we get them together, not around a pre presentation, not in a committee room, not around a piece of paper, we get them together around a meal and we just eat with them. And he said, that is the foundational building block in building the peace, eating together. Um, and, you know, Jesus ate together with people all the time. There are 70 references, I think, to food and eating together in Luke's gospel alone. Um, so, you know, and again, you look at the fruitful movements in the church in this country in recent years, Alpha, Messy Church, to a lesser extent, Holy Habits. What have they all got in them? They've got eating together as a key ingredient. And so, you know, you're right, Stuart, I think more of that in our shared life, and it's difficult at the moment, but again, if we've got time to think, let's think about how that might be part of what we are able to offer when we can gather together again. It was interesting, I was, um, my wife works as a university lecturer and she was on a webinar today with the course that she teaches and uh, she was saying that they've been talking and said what they do for some, she teaches events, so um, event management, and, and they were saying that um, that some kind of online events have been getting everybody to set their virtual background to be the same and they makes everybody feel like they're all in the same room together and I wonder actually as we do more things online can we can we share the same food can we put ourselves in the same setting can we do more to kind of share that experiences as good as it is and trying to find some some joy in that moment as difficult as it may be um gladness and generosity I um I received an email today asking me to take part in something that was uh, looking at mountaintop experiences. Oh, okay. and, uh, and, and, and again, in gladness and generosity, this is uh, something you talk about, this idea of mountaintop experiences. Uh, mountaintop experiences are great, but um, 
we can't spend our life at the top of the mountain, can we? Sometimes we have to come back down into the valleys again. And it's how do those, how do those mountaintop experiences sustain us? I, I've often thought for the journey back down again. Um, and um, I, I always remember something that Steve Chalk said a number of years ago. He said, the problem is so often we, we've, we only ever see other people's mountaintop experiences. So in other words, we only see across the mountain range. We don't see them in their struggle down one side and their climb back up the other side. We only see them when we're at the top and we think, oh, well, wouldn't it be great if our life was like that? And I think if there was ever a time now, then we need to rely on our mountaintop time for experiences. And, and think about gladness and generosity, then it's this moment and clinging on to joy. How do you manage to kind of cling on to joy, gladness, generosity at the moment? Um, well, I think, um, you know, valuing uh, family and friends um, and, you know, really um, making the effort to keep in touch. Again, you know, we talk a lot about togetherness, you know, picking up the phone. Because um, again, I think, it, you know, one of the downsides of electronic communication we can text in a second we can put in a tick or a like on facebook or whatever um but actually you know the joy of the conversation um the joy of the careful listening um i mean i've like many i think have really enjoyed reconnecting with nature um we're blessed to live you know about half a mile away from some open countryside so we've discovered new walks um, I've had the joy of growing my own veg, which I've never done before. Um, and I just think, you know, some of those simple pleasures and living life a little more slowly um, have actually been quite restorative in terms of restoring joy and have offset the possibilities of despair because of, you know, the, the restraints of this time. Just some of those simple pleasures you know, have been real, real joy givers. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's good. And I think it's great that we, uh, we can then share our hopes and that joy with others in, in a careful way, because I'm conscious sometimes we can, you know, we, we, we shouldn't be kind of superimposing our joy on somebody else who needs to be in a period of lament, as we, we talked yeah. about earlier. But, uh, but we can, uh, we, we can give, can't we? Um, yeah. uh, and be generous at that time. I think for me, when I was thinking about this evening, this next kind of habit of worship seemed to be one of the hardest ones and the ones that I've heard so many people say, we just, we missed the idea of being able to worship collectively together. And it was good to be reminded that worship is very much a way of life. How we live should be an expression of worship as well as those acts of coming together, which undoubtedly um, people, we want to get back to as soon as we we safely can and, and some churches are exploring how that can be done and some are actually doing it at the moment what say something to us about worship in this current time well i mean it, it is a strange time i think i mean you're quite right Stuart. i mean i'm always keen to and again i think mark green would do that may, may say something about this when he's with you as well I am really keen to see worship as a way of life because I think our default thinking is we think worship, we think 11 o'clock for an hour on a Sunday morning or whenever it is. Um, now that's a hugely important part of it, but it's not the totality. But having said that, I think actually the, the question of how we worship together um, is a really, really 
prominent one at the moment. So um, clearly many of us have been exploring um, gathered worship online. Um, I've been part of quite a number of different online expressions of worship. Um, I still think there's a lot of learning to be done there about what content is appropriate. Um, I mean, <laughs> in particular, how we use things like music and singing. I've had some very good experiences of that. I've had some very bad experiences of that. Um, so, so how do we, if some worship is important to us, how do we do that well uh, in an online space, I think is a particular challenge. Um, I think one of, the, one of the positives, both in online worship and actually in um, gathered physical worship, which locally we're beginning to do again, um, is actually making more use of visual imagery, um, both, as a, both as an offering of worship, so offering the good photos we're taking and other things like that, but actually also as an aid to facilitating worship. I think our worship both online and in gathered space needs to be much more visual um, because even in gathered space, of course, at the moment, we're not allowed to sing. Um, so uh, actually not being able to do some things gives us a space to think about other things we might do. So, you know, visual imagery, symbolism, obviously you can't touch it. You can't all touch the same things, um, but actually using the different senses in different ways because so much of our normal worship diet is auditory it's about seeing and hearing mm. and yet there are the other three senses that um, we could make more use of and again we have an opportunity to learn uh, in these days about how we might do that more I think. I think as I've been thinking over lockdown and um, a lot of the other webinars that we've considered have kind of touched on this one. That's this last habit of making disciples seems seems really, uh, really difficult. And I like the way in the book that you talk about that so often the Christian church's emphasis has almost been making disciples as a, a ticket into heaven, yeah. um, where, where actually it's so much more, um, it's about... Um, transforming lives it's about wholeness of life now it's experiencing heaven in the present and, and not just just in the future but it seems one of the most difficult habits to be able to do when we're in a within a time of lockdown and yet for me i think you've already touched on this in some ways in the story of offering prayer to the family of a friend who's died in different ways is there anything else that you you might want to just share about your experience of making disciples in this current time yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a shared experience, Stuart, that I think is, was it the Tear Fund research um, showed that more people were accessing um, online worship and other things as well. Um, now, you know, let's not get too carried away. That was possibly because there were less other things to do. The pub's closed, there's no live sport on telly. I might go and have a look at that church service. Now, you know, I'm not being cynical there, but I'm just being realistic. Mm -hmm. So again, a bit like with Jimmy Dunn's comments on the idealism of Acts 2, I think we need to be a little bit careful which, with the research that has shown that more people have accessed worship online and other things online. Um, I know a number of people have offered Alpha courses online and actually had a higher level of participation than when they've offered them in 
physical space mm. before. So I think, you know, every crisis brings its opportunities. And I think in, in terms of whether it's an evangelistic course like um, Alpha or offering worship online that people may be curious about and want to come into, um, then, you know, this time of crisis has afforded those opportunities. Um, I think the, the challenge will be developing relationships with people on an ongoing basis who mm. might have got in touch online um, because it may well be possible that you can continue to develop relationships online but I, I, I maybe I'm just an old fuddy-duddy but I still think human beings have been designed by God for physical interaction so I'm not sure you can do everything online and so how can we encourage people who've met with us online to meet with us in, in physical space is going to be important. Um, and actually, again, having the, the generosity to go back to that habit, to help those new folks shape what the new future will be like, and not just expect that we will revert to the patterns we've always enjoyed. Because people have opted out of those patterns already if we simply revert back to those when people will opt out of them again. I think um, as well that the, you know, at the end of the book, you encourage us and invite us to dare to dream is the yeah. title of your last chapter. Yeah. When we think about different kind of stuff like that, what, what is it that you would want us to, to dream of perhaps? You know, what, what would you encourage you to try and dream about? Well, I think I'd just encourage you, Stuart, to, to follow your dream. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a sort of inclusive view, not just an exclusive to you dream. Um, you know, to, to follow your dreams, because in a way, Holy Habits is a living example of that. You know, when I, when I set out to write this little book, um, I mean, the deal with the publisher, uh, Malcolm Down, who's a really good friend of mine, love Malcolm, we grew up together in the same church, lifelong friends. Uh, but the deal Malcolm has with anybody who writes a book is if he's happy to publish it, the author has to buy the first 500 copies. That basically covers his You've production. You've got to be pretty committed to that, then, haven't you? <laughs> Indeed, you have, because if nobody buys it, you are you are left with a big bill and a big pile of books. Um, and you know, I was to be honest when when I did write this, I was actually genuinely worried as to whether we'd get rid of those first five hundred copies. Now we've got rid of them about thirtyfold more than that now. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm not a natural writer. I'm more of a scrapbooker and assembler of ideas. Um, but I had the dream to do that. And, you know, it's become what it's become. So, you know, I offer that in all humility and say, if you've got a dream, if there's something that God has laid on your heart, then give it a go. You know, get those critical friends around you who will both encourage you and say, hang on a minute, what about X, Y and Z? But with that impetus of the spirit and those wise and supportive friends around, why not you? Andrew, with those words and that encouragement, that seems like a really great place uh, to leave it. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I hope others have been encouraged by your words. Um, as we go um, and as we, we spend our own time in prayer tonight, is there anything that you would like uh, those watching and listening to be able to pray to for you about? Um, 
Well, I just think um, uh, at the moment, um, you know, it's like everybody else. I'm thinking about what next. Um, so, you know, what is, is there another book to be written? Is there another piece of work to be done? Um, so, you know, I think just, just that, that sense of God's guidance for me on what, what the next step in my journey is, is to be. So yeah, I'd leave it at that, I think, Stuart. Thank you. Andrew, thank you very much for your time. Um, I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. And thank you. uh, it's been good to talk to you. Bye-bye. Well, bless you. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Al. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.